When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a variation on a podcast. It's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century. From I Love Lucy to News Radio, I'm your TV guy, Brett White, and I'm also a reporter Producer for Decider.com, and this week, I am joined by actor, comedian, you can see him on the Chris Gethard Show on True TV, Mr. Connor Ratliff. Hello, Connor. Hello. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Thank you for uh, coming out here and exposing me to something totally, wildly new and different. Yes, yes. Uh, a historic sitcom. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm excited a, to get into it. Yeah. And also, uh, you're a fellow Queens, Queens head like myself. Yes. I'm trying to figure out did, if you had the shortest commute out to my place. Possibly, yeah. Right, yeah, maybe. A, it was like a 15-minute bus ride. Did anyone get into a fight on the bus? Uh, no. They were, it was very calm and quiet because it was a little bit, it was past the rush hour. Okay. Um, the, the, the people were, uh, you could tell people were not in, no one was in a good mood on the bus. Of course. <laughs> but, um... But uh, there were no incidents. I find that every time I get on the Queen's bus, there is a fight of some yeah. sort. There is an argument. There's someone screaming about killing someone. No, it was quiet. This yeah. was a, it, was, it was, you know, it was like 7.30 in the evening. So it was, you know, relatively uh, past the rush, past all the... New York transit. I thought riding the bus is like taking a trip back to like the 70s New York for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually, it's the great uh, equalizer and also nightmare. Uh, yeah, but this week we are actually traveling to March 31st, 1988. Uh, Biloxi Blues ruled the box office. Ooh. Man of the Mirror by Michael Jackson topped the charts. And NBC aired the Days and Nights of Molly Dodd episode. Here are a few variations on a sexual theme. Connor, you must have seen Here Are a Few Variations on a Sexual Theme before. Yeah, I would have watched this as it aired. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because it was part of the, it was a oh, summer, man. it was a summer replacement series. And I, I believe, I believe that was a Thursday night. It was, it yeah, was, it was a Thursday night show. And it was, uh, I have the lineup right here. Yeah, it was, it was packed with hits. Thursday night, this was Cosby Show, A Different World, Cheers, Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, L.A. Law. L.A. Law. So it, it, this was like sandwiched in between nothing but hits. Yeah. And also shows that are totally different. Yes. Totally different. And, Days and Nights of Molly Dodd was, they didn't know what to call it. They called it a dramedy. The word yeah. dramedy was invented, I, I believe, for this show. So this is the, this is Patient Zero. Yeah, I mean, I I believe there were some shows prior to this that didn't have, that were single camera, but when you look on IMDb, this says this was the first show that was conceived Okay, yeah. With that, where the plan was, there'll be no studio audience, there'll be no laugh track. Yeah. It will be shot. I mean, now it's the norm. 
Yeah. Uh, Which I have, I have issues about that I've gotten into in Link. Listen to the Frasier episode with Winston Knoll where we just rail about it for way too long. Yeah. Uh, well, there w- the thing was, like, most of the 60s sitcoms were single cam shot without an audience, but it's like Mr. Ed and the Addams Family and right. Bewitched, and it's like... They so they're s- like studio, but they're on a set, though, They were on a set, and, yeah. and they would throw in fake laughter, but it's like those shows involved a lot of weird special effects, like making a horse talk. Yeah. So they didn't want to make an audience sit through that, most likely. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why in the 70s and 80s there was this real big push of Cheers was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. Or all the MTM shows at the end would say Mary, Mary Tyler Moore was shot in front of a live audience. I, and I, I actually think it was a big mistake for them to stop saying that at yeah. the beginning of... Uh, of multi-camera. Because people still people. can go back and be like, it's all fake. It's like, none of it is actually fake. Yeah. Even um, How I Met Your Mother, which I'd learned, uh, they shot it all on a, like a multi-cam soundstage, but with no audience, and they shot it more single-cam style, because there's a lot of flashback and editing and stuff. Yeah. But then they would play the edited episodes for an audience and record that laughter. Yeah. Yeah. So it still is a weird hybrid, but still the laughter is real. It, it bugs me when people call things laugh tracks that are just studio audience laughter. Yeah. Religious. That's laughter. not a laugh track. Yeah, that is an audience. Is a track of actual real laughter and not a weird like not on GarageBand right now. I could open up a laugh track and yeah. play it right now over under us. But I th- I think the ne- I think the they blew it when they stopped saying it because I still remember that. It's a sentence that yeah. always struck me as a kid when I saw this. Cheers, this film for a live studio Ron audience. John Ratzenberg is saying it too. Um, yeah, and so that's why this. I guess, I, I, though I guess in terms of the lineup, this does seem like a nice bridge between Cheers and L.A. Law. Yeah. There's a kind of, a, it's like it's getting you ready for the drama. Cheers being maybe the, in my opinion, the, the, the multi-camera set sitcom that looks and feels the least like it's on a set. Yeah. Which is so it's weird. Because just... it is like the most setty set. Because yeah. it is literally like one giant room, but it feels it so It looks so good, and they just figured out their angles so well. Yeah. Like, it never feel it never feel I never imagine where the, like, I think it would really blow my mind if everyone ever showed me a shot of the camera pulling out. Yeah, and sh- Like, yeah. I would just be like, I, I can picture it on Seinfeld. I can picture exactly why, mm-hmm. oh, Jerry's apartment's like this, because the cameras are right there on Cheers. I'm like, that's a bar. Yeah, I have no idea. Do you, are how familiar are with the full, uh, with the um, home improvement house? Not at all. Okay, because, well, in our, the episode I did with Jeremy Ben about that, I realized that it is, it's actually really intricate. Like, I think that it was built on an angle because the camera can get all the way to the front door, but then all the way to the front to where the couch is. Yeah. And so I think the audience is sitting, like, at a weird angle to where they can just see this bisected half of an entire long... Because usually it's, you know, four walls and just one of the walls is removed. Yeah. But this is more like a quarter of the house is removed so you can see the kitchen and the... It's really ridiculous. Yeah. There's some real artistry to these multicam sets that has been lost... People yeah. don't appreciate it. I, of course, uh, I did not watch this show. I don't even... I think that you talking about this on another podcast probably informed me of its existence. Did you bring it up on any... I've talked about it on <laughs> any podcast <laughs> where it's been appropriate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any any chance to bring this show up, I... Because I, it, it really... It had an effect on me. I remember I'd never seen anything like it. I remember thinking it was funny, but it wasn't It wasn't afraid to not be funny. Exactly, yeah. Um, which is true of a lot of great... Like, Cheers was like that, too. Cheers yeah. wasn't afraid to not be funny for Golden a long... Golden Girls has an AIDS episode. Like. Yeah. And the, and, <laughs> the, they were, and, and the best sitcoms, uh, certainly MASH, you know, uh, uh, any, any great sitcom it, it usually has the courage to go, like, oh, this scene doesn't need a lot of jokes because... Right. Uh, they they wouldn't fit, you know, and so, uh, 
But I also remember just being... Um, I only recently found out that the first two seasons... Because the, the the first two seasons, it was a summer replacement series. Very right. well-reviewed. Only 13 episodes each season. Yeah. Which is also unusual for the time. Yeah. Um, closer to, like, a British model in mm-hmm. some ways of, like, a short order. Now it's a common... It's the, it's Yeah, 13 more is common. like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah 13, yeah. Because I think creators like it better. Back then, it was almost like hedging your bets a little bit. It was yeah. kind of like, well, we'll order half a season, basically. Because normally, like, it would have got a 13-episode first season, then a 22 to 24 second season, but not yeah. the case. And it also, it, it it broke so many, it did so many things that never happened before, because it was also uh, a show that got canceled after its second season on NBC, and then got picked up by Lifetime, a cable yeah. network, and it ran for three more seasons, and still, like, uh, uh, Blair Brown, the star who plays Molly Dodd, she was nominated for Best Actress Emmy for all five seasons. Which is also, because I remember growing up in the, like, the mid to late 90s, I would love cable shows, but it's like, well, they'll never get nominated for an Emmy, because Emmys are for, because at the time I was convinced yeah. Emmys were for network shows. And, and Cable Ace cable Awards. Awards. <laughs> it, also, it also did very well with the Cable Ace Awards, because it was like, of all the, of the, you know, the sparse field of cable TV shows, yeah. it was a show that had, like, you survived... You came from prestigious network. Yeah, you clawed your way back. And you found your way back. But it also, it was nominated for both Best Drama Awards at Cable Ace and Best Comedy Awards. Like the same year even? I don't know if it was the same year. It may have have been one year or the other, but I know it it was nominated in both. (laughs) People just didn't know what to think about it. Nowadays, it's unequivocally a comedy because comedy, I mean, like, that's another thing of, like... It's 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes, so therefore it's a comedy. Um, There is, like, if there's, like, a light joke in it, it's a Mm -hmm. comedy, which always makes me really annoyed it's like uh transparent great show not great jokes like it's not hilarious right it veers more toward toward the dramatic yeah um and but i so there were so many things about it at the time that were they were just different to me and also uh, but i but i only just recently found out that the first two seasons including like the episode that we watched yeah um the show was based in l.a Oh, really? And you would not get that feeling because they do so many exterior shots that are in New York. Well, also, those are very New York-y actors. The whole cast, everybody making the show were New York people. Yeah. So they had to go to L.A. So when they when Lifetime picked it up, they moved the production to <laughs> uh, New York. Man. And, but it, it feels like a New York show. It doesn't... It doesn't feel like one of those New York shows that's kind of, you know, people in L.A. doing a show yeah. based on their memory of New York. Right. It's a, it feels like a very specific... Um, uh, uh, it, it has a, a, a lived-in sort yeah, of feeling yeah. uh, uh, in its relationship to New York. That's so wild. And you watched it as it aired. Yeah. Wow. That's... Uh, wait, how old were you when, when it started? Like, I guess what year did it start? It started in, in this 87. This is 88. Well, so but it started in 87, so I yeah. would have been... So I would have been uh, uh, 12 years old. Were people, were your peers into this? Like, were you the No, outlier? I didn't know anybody who watched this show. <laughs> Even adults? Did you know any adults that were I mean, it? I was 12. Who would I have talked to about this? <laughs> I don't, I, I, the, I don't, I don't think I had ever had conversations with show, uh, with anybody about this show. Um, That's but I just, one. I just know I liked it. I knew that, um, I probably had a bigger crush on Blair Brown, because it was also, the the her performance uh, is so great on the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's you know it's a show. There's a danger in you know you make a show and it's about uh, you know there's that danger of like a show like Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip where the, <laughs> the central 
problem that they set up for themselves is they make a show about this comedy show is so great that everybody yeah, yeah. loves it. And it's like, well, show us the comedy show. And then when you it's, see it, you're oh like... Oh, my God. And so there's a danger in creating a show about a character that people are charmed by because if you're not charmed by that person, then the, okay. the premise of the show kind of crumbles. Wait, so that's the premise? I mean, or, like, to a certain extent, yeah, there's... Yeah. Uh, it's not like a... a just, it's not specifically that that's the premise. It's, yeah. you know, she, her life and her struggles and stuff like that. But she is a character that uh, is meant to be charming. Right. And so it's easy to imagine someone less charming tanking the show. Because I got that. That totally came across. Wait, what did she do before and after this? Um, After this, I mean, more people are probably familiar with her from... Uh, Orange is the New Black. She plays Judy King oh. on that show. She was Nina Sharp on Fringe. Okay. Um, she's consistently just worked and worked and worked. Yeah. Um, I think prior to this, like, one of her big things... I think she was in the movie Altered States. Okay. She was in a movie with John Belushi that Steven Spielberg executive produced called Continental Divide, which I still haven't seen, even though... <laughs> Everything about that sounds like yeah, that's, I should have yeah, seen it. Like yeah. it sounds that's like, like when I discovered the movie First Family. Yeah, have you heard of that? that? Which is um, it's written by Buck Henry. Uh-huh. It stars Bob Newhart as the president. Okay, Madeline Kahn as the first lady. All right, no reason not to see and this. Gilda Radner as the as their daughter. Yeah, and it's awful. But like I rented it on iTunes because like I have to do this. It has yeah, Bob Newhart in a George Washington costume in it. Like yeah, you got You got to see what that's. But like. it's like how did I not know that? Not so that cast is killer, but it's just like. It's a movie from 1980, male-dominated era, and Madeline Kahn and Gilda Radner do nothing! And it's like, no! Yeah, so it's frustrating. I once saw uh, Blair Brown and Victor Garber uh, in a production of Arcadia. <sighs> Wait, like, concurrent with this? or no, like no, no, later? No, it, was, it was like a, a decade or so oh, later. And I bet they're still friends. Oh, I, I hope so. I'd be <laughs> devastated if they weren't. I think that Victor Garber is... I mean, I will get in... We'll get in We'll, we'll get... Uh, Basically, in the first season, a lot of it is about, you know, Molly Dodd's a single woman in New York City. It's sort of like, I was never a fan of Sex and the City, and I always, in my mind, I always thought back to, like, I already have my show that's like a right. New York City, yeah. single woman in New York City. Was uh, Alan McBeal? That was Alan Boston. Was, yeah. Boston? Yeah. But it definitely is like, this is one of the ancestors of that right. show. Yeah, it gets that total vibe, except I might like this more. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's... In the first season, a lot of it has to do with, you know, uh, Molly is divorced. Um, she is uh, struggling to find what her career is, what her personal life is. She's sort of, she's in New York City, and it's kind of like, where is her life going to go? Like, yeah. What is, she's like looking for where, the, she's like mid-30s, trying to figure it out. And it already sort of feels like the life she had already has sort of like fallen apart. And in the first episode, she finds out that... Um, the guy she's been seeing, Dennis Widmer, who was ah, her boss. Okay. She started seeing him and then found out that he was married and then found out that he also had basically had affairs with all the other women in this office. And, uh, and Victor Garber's character, uh, and this was the first time I ever, that the reason I know who Victor Garber is oh, wow. is because of this show. Like, I was like, that guy's funny. He plays a character that, in, in my way, when I, the way I picture this character, it's such a great... I picture it as, like, the prototype for a certain kind of character that, like... Like, Job on Arrested Development. Right, yeah, it's yeah, It's that yeah. sort of, like, um, charismatic, awful person. Yeah. You know, that it's, like, um, has all these very low tendencies. You know, a liar, a, a, a sleaze, but... <laughs> 
something so transparently desperate that it's charming. Yeah. Even while he is like the, the a scumbag, you know. Um, a, a similar feeling that I get from like Jeffrey Tambor on on a Larry Sanders show. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the characters I'm drawn to uh, uh, in the first season or two of New Heart, um, the character of Kirk. Oh God, yeah. Who that guy. I think is this underrated, like just like what a sleaze. Yeah. But like such a great comic performance, and Victor Garber falls right into that tradition yeah, with this character, where he's like, "Molly, I need you," but then. The next sentence will be something terrible. Yeah. So, something like, oh my god, is that my wife? Where he'll, he'll, he's such a coward and such a, uh, but he's so driven. Yeah. Oh. And so you meet him right away in the first episode, but then he just recurs throughout the course of the show. I had always assumed that the reason that the supporting cast is so great and the guest appearance was so great was because it's a New York show. I was right. like, oh, they're drawing all these theater actors. But, now that's sort of blown up in my head because they were flying these actors from uh, from New York to L.A. to film in these first two seasons. But that was their approach. It was like, you see these actors that you associate with, like, oh, these guys were all doing plays. These yeah. actors and actresses were all, do, all doing uh, New York theater at the time. And so it has a different feel. You don't see... It's it's a different crew of faces than if you watch the, the L.A. regular sitcoms of the time. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a whole bunch of, like, desperate actors are just like, here's my headshot, like I'm going out for a thing. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's transition it to the uh, episode itself. Yes. So, yeah, this week on Must Have Seen TV, we're talking about the Days and Nights of Molly Dot episode. Here are a few variations on a sexual theme. It is the second episode of season two. It was written by Jay Tarsus and Bob Brush and directed by Jay Tarsus. And here is how, like, the internet describes the episode. Molly's psychiatrist tells her why she no longer wants Molly as a patient. Connor, how accurate is that description? It, it is accurate, but it is also... It would be like saying that uh, Star Wars is about two robots who fly off of a ship. Yeah. Where it's like, that <laughs> happened, but yeah. it's one of like oh my a dozen God. things that happened. Uh, I wanted to point out, since I brought up his name, that this was created by Jay Tarsus. Yes. Who is a... Who was co-showrunner of the like back half of the Bob Newhart show. Uh-huh. And his, so we talked about this before watching it, of like, Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus were a writing team in the 70s and like, early to mid 80s. Yeah. And they ran Bob Newhart together, and they, I read interviews with them from that time of how they loved emphasizing weird and dry humor, and like, they liked experimenting. Mm -hmm. So then you get to the late 80s, literally this like, week of television, and they split apart, and Tom Patchett is off doing Elf, and Jay Tarsus is doing this. And after watching it, I can totally see how both of them together equals the back half of Bob Newhart show. Yes. Because Tom Patchett, who's doing Elf, is like, loves, like, zingers, broad humor. (laughs) He loves having a puppet on. Uh, I mean, even, like, the concept of Elf is a pretty high-concept, weird thing. It's like, yeah, I could see where Bob Newhart show would do that. But then you have this which is a lot drier, also weird, but in a drier way. Yeah, in a, in a, it all can happen. Like, there are elements, and this episode doesn't have it, there are episodes where it veers into the kind of sort of, like, fantasy that is, um, would later, like, Ally McBeal would do that. You know, there are, like, flights of fancy. Yeah. There are, um, elements that pop into the show, and I think maybe more of that in the Lifetime seasons, even. So where it gets whimsical. It's but just Tarsus, fascinating. Jay Tarsus also co-wrote um, The Great Muppet Caper and Muppets Take Manhattan. Ugh. And, and I think... Wait, who did you write him with? Um, I assume... Uh, was it with Tom like Patchett or... No, let me look and see. Man, that's the uh, thing. I don't 
Like writing teams. Is it like cheating on your writing part? Yeah, like you how- wrote it with uh, Tom Patchett, oh. Jerry, Ju- Jerry Jewell, Jack Rose wrote uh, Great Muppet Caper. And let me see who Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, yeah, Tom Patchett and oh, Jay Tarsus wrote the story and uh, Frank Oz wrote the screenplay uh, with them. And then what happened to break like, them up? I mean, like, this is a story I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, the thing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, speculate. At a certain point, is like... Tarsus ditched the puppets, and Patchett was just like, <laughs> I want to keep doing puppet stuff. <laughs> oh, man, maybe that, maybe the Muppet stuff was like the flashpoint for them or whatever. It's like, Patchett's like, pick down my calling, I'm puppets. Yeah, he's like, no, Love. I want to do just humans like, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I liked about Muppets Take Manhattan, <laughs> yeah. is, is the humans. Oh, uh, yeah, wow, so this is also a split of Muppets. Muppets Take Manhattan, they each took a, a different <laughs> path. That, you know what was fun working on that is... Filming in New York and uh, oh, no, it was fun. It was the also, uh, heightened sets and a lot of long hours. Um, uh, they also uh, he also did the show Buffalo Bill, right? Which, the Dabney Coleman one, which I I've never seen that show. Um, I saw the Slap Maxwell story, which was a a, a, mm. a later Dabney a few years later Dabney Coleman uh, single camera kind of dramedy. Um, but Buffalo Bill is always a show that's mentioned as... Right, yeah, I've had that mentioned to me by, uh, Alejandro Abona, who did one of the news radio episodes, was like, I want to do that next time, so now... innovative, um, paving the way for what is going to come with, like, Larry Sanders and, and then other, other, um... It's really fascinating to see... That's the thing I like about this podcast, is actually getting to track these, like, weird career trajectories... Yeah. ...of these people behind the scenes that we never... Like, people listening to this podcast probably have never heard the names... Jay, uh, Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus right. as much as they have in the last 48 seconds yeah, yeah. alone uh, so yeah this episode like that so like start with that yeah. with that synopsis that is uh, one of one scene well, there's like and, what, a, and a prelude to it there's about like six different almost vignettes yeah in this like there isn't there's not an A, B, C plot yeah and that was a I think that was an innovation for any sitcom yeah. I don't think prior to Days of My Dad that sitcoms did that. Sort of in the same way that, like, uh, I mean, maybe they did it on, on something like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, where it was, like, a serialized soap opera or, like, yeah, soap yeah. things like that. But generally speaking, like, it was not a, a common trend for a sitcom to, to have so many plots that were none of them are resolved necessarily right. in a single episode. Because uh, the Dr. Litchfield plot. Yeah. Um, the, the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist with. Pl- plot that was set up in the previous episode and I think maybe something even possibly in the first okay. season that she had this therapist who was like take phone calls during the therapy session kind of seemed like maybe a bad therapist oh, so this is really and, serialized storytelling in the era way before that yeah and uh, and then in season two Molly Dodd is like sees her on the street and she's ignored by her. And I think that had happened in the previous episode as well. Yeah. So it was like a runner that was like, my therapist, I can't get a hold of her, and she won't talk to me. And um, and I actually, it occurred to me, because I I, would, I think, um, oh, oh, who's the creator of Orange is New Black? I'm blanking. Uh, uh, Gingy Cohen. Gingy Cohen, yeah. Um, I believe this was a show, as indicated by her casting Blair Brown, right. a big part of Orange is New Black. I would almost guarantee that this show was a show that she loved and that this oh, was yeah, an influence. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Dr. Litchfield. Right. Litchfield. Litchfield. Yeah. <laughs> Women's Penitentiary. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's pretty... I was thinking... I, I think it It might be... It's either... If it's... It's a, either a subconscious callback or it's a deliberate... Yeah. I'm going to name this 
prison after this name. And from... I would guess that is a question that she's never been asked in an interview. Either. Yeah, did you name this after the <laughs> Days of Nights of three episode <laughs> character in Days of Nights of Mod Uh So, like, just to go through the different things, like, because I just want to, like, run through, like, this outline yeah. of this episode just to give listeners an idea of how kind of... Not... Especially since uh, listeners... You've not seen this. And, and if you want to see this, good, good luck. luck. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a tip. There is a website. The reason I have this is because I purchased... Bootleg DVDs of the Days of My Dad, uh, <laughs> off of a website that I don't. I'm I. I'm gonna mention it, even though I'm always nervous that this website will vanish. Yeah. There's a website. Have you ever heard of a website called Sell.com? S-E-L-L.com. No. It's been around for a long time because I bought these discs a long time ago, and I don't know why it hasn't been shut down because it's <laughs> it's not the dark web or whatever that is, but. You will find so many people selling old TV shows, sometimes oh, kind of pricely, on yeah. DVD-Rs. And I think I probably bought these for like 50 bucks Is or something. Is this cover art? No, just oh. like an envelope full of discs. Numbered. <laughs> like, like if I lose... Gave it to you by a guy in a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, the numbers are on the little paper envelope, so I gotta make sure I don't get them mixed up, because otherwise I'll be like, oh, I'm oh, I, I, I wow. lost. But, uh, so like, finding this show... Other than this website, which even mentioning it, I worry, am I going to lead... <laughs> or you're going to get on a list or something. Or the, no, or... just like some like district attorney is going to listen to your podcast and be like, oh, we should shut that down. Yeah, we should go after this guy. Don't uh, shut it down. It's it's benign. Also, especially if you have... This is also my... The Bob Crane Show from this... I'm looking at my computer as if I'm looking at the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Bob Crane Show from the 70s. Yeah. Which, have you ever heard of that? No. The After Hogan's Heroes, Bob Crane... Like, MTM was, like, turning out, like, Mary Tellamore, Bob New York. They had, like, the formula down of we're going to take a person, yeah. put them in, like, a unique profession in a unique city. So they grabbed Bob Bob Crane and dropped him in his own show where he was, like, a was like a general practitioner doctor kind of guy. Yeah. Um, it only lasted, like, one, like under one season because it was underwatched. But the reason I need to see it is because John Astin is in an episode and John Astin plays a gay man in it. And Bob Cratcher has a that gay episode with, with, yeah. with John Aston. If you listen to my Adams Family episode, you'd know my thoughts about John Aston. Um, and you, do you know how to find this show? No, I it doesn't exist anywhere. Trysell.com. Yeah, I mean, do a search for it. I, 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 there's some, I haven't sponsored. been able to find everything uh, but, that I've been looking for, but I found things that I haven't found anywhere else. I got uh, Fernwood Tonight. I bought those on See, I would love to DVDs watch that. from there. Because, um, uh, is, wait, who's on, is, um, Patty Deutsch on that? No, it's I, I Joyce Bolifant. No. I still haven't had time to watch There's a them. lot of Match Game pay- people. I think Fanny Flag might be on some. There's a lot of Match Game people that are on that show, too. I keep, the thing I keep not pulling the trigger on, because it's $75 for two seasons to buy it on there, is, uh, I'll Fly Away, which was the, uh, oh. the drama that David Chase was EP on prior to The Sopranos. Wow. It was created by Joshua Brand and, uh, John Falsey, who did St. Elsewhere and Northern Exposure. Wait, what years was that? This was early 90s. It was, it was, uh, and it was basically the TV, it was Sam Waterston, uh, and it was basically <laughs> like a TV show version of To Kill a Mockingbird, but it was darker than To Kill a Mockingbird. It was more complicated. On the network? On NBC. Wow. Friday nights on NBC. Yeah, it's a pretty dark time. Um, and, but. Adults are home. Yeah, and it's, uh, and it's a great, <laughs> it's a great show. And it's, but it's like, what if Atticus Finch was not this perfect hero from the movie was like just pulls like they just pull a lot of punches so he he does the right thing but he'll hesitate in ways that are so compelling because you're just you want him to just be the hero yeah yeah but there are times when he's not and it's 
Uh, I think it sounds worth it. Yeah, seventy five dollars. I got you know it's a lot for uh, uh, an envelope full of burned discs <laughs> with uh, numbers on them. Yeah. So. Uh, so the outline of this episode, quickly, and then we'll get deeper into it, is like the first scene is uh, her leaving her apartment, and a guy's had a heart attack, which is a running gag on the uh, show. Yeah, he gets in. And she doesn't that's... know who her uh, her neighbor across the okay. way is, and he'll like leave the door open, and she'll speak into it, and he'll close the door. But then there was this runner where paramedics were always taking this old guy out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so that's the first scene, and then the second scene is, quick scene, is her seeing Dr. Litchfield on the street. Litchfield ignores her. Ignores her. Third scene is her at her job. Her job. She works at a bookstore. Bookstore. And there's a Sybil Drayden, a Hollywood sex novelist, like romance novelist, is there doing a signing that no one planned for. Yeah, David Strathairn plays the person who works at the bookstore, but he's so idiosyncratic and so absent-minded that he doesn't even seem to be aware of how the bookstore runs. Like, he never seems to know who opened it. He's the, Before she... She goes in to look for a job, and he hires her, but it's sort of like, how did this bookstore function prior yeah. to her being Because there? this person is there, and everyone is like, they're like, well, everyone seems to love this, so we need more of these books. It's like, yeah. who is this person? How did she get there? That's a crazy enough plot for a whole episode, only gets that one scene. Yeah. <laughs> because it immediately moves on to... A date with Detective Nathaniel Hawthorne, which is a continuing... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a... Her friend's apartment was broken into, and he was the detective who showed up, and then she... Uh, he was in, uh, uh, flirting with Molly Dodd, and then they... This is... You see them on this date that had been set up in the previous episode. And it gets crashed by Victor Garber's character, Dennis, who then, like, does his thing, I now know. Uh, yeah. Being high-class... Uh, brutish crude. Yeah. Um, and then it goes immediately to Molly moving a chair into her apartment. Yeah, with uh, one of her sisters and her mother. Okay. And then they just talk about, uh, like, we need to have, we should have had a man here to bring the chair in. Yeah. And there's a really weird joke about Molly's like, well, I'm... Although, I will tell you, I have begun to feel some strange rumblings. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant rumblings? Let's just leave it at rumblings. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things, I think I was talking to you before about how this show is progressive yeah. for its time, but then there are things that uh, uh, play weird to a modern yeah. audience. Uh, but one of the things I remember, I remember the time being very striking. This was a, her character throughout the series uh, will date men of various ethnicities. Oh, and it's wow. not, but the, the only way that it's ever really commented on is through supporting characters who have a problem with it, but it's never an issue in terms of there being That's a super cool. Like her mom will say something, and, she, her, and she'll just sort of dismiss it. Or right. yeah, in a in I think the next episode, uh, Dennis Widmer. Uh, the next time we see Dennis Widmer, uh, Victor Garber's character, he makes a comment about that black cop you're dating. Like he makes a comment yeah. about it, but it's never. Um, and 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 every now and then there's something like there was, you know, there'd be a plot line where she's like dating. Uh, a Hasidic Jew. Uh, she goes on a blind date or something. No, it's not a blind date. It's there's a she teaches a piano lesson and the guy shows up and he's a Hasidic Jew, and they play like the this Jewish music as the sound cue, and it feels like oh now <laughs> they wouldn't do that because it no, feels yeah. like uh, corny and maybe even offensive yeah, too much. <laughs> and it would be like if she's dating a, a in an early episode. There's this guy who asks her out who I think is from like India or someplace, and they the music cues are very on the nose. They're very <laughs> like now if you did that, it'd be like, hey, that's offensive. Yeah. But it'd be like, this show's doing it because the show is is trying to normalize like yeah. that she's a she's a woman who belongs in New York. It's the melting pot aspect of 
New York City and that she's a character yeah, that doesn't see any of these things as issues. And that's def- definitely different from like Friends and Seinfeld where it's an all-white cast and they mostly only date white people. Yeah. Like almost exclusively. Friends. Ross that one. Ross time. has Aisha Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and then Julie on Friends is uh, Asian. Yeah. So, but that's about, yeah, so that's cool yeah. to do that. Um, the scene after that is she finally uh, goes to Dr. Litchfield's office and we get probably the longest scene in the episode, which yeah. I guess is why it warranted being the only thing in the description right. that I just found online at a site I don't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking for any. There's one. also like, this is not a show because it's <laughs> never been released on home video. There's never been. A, so, so. These DVDs are literally people taping it off of Lifetime when it aired a lot because they, because it was a Lifetime original series for three seasons. So they also would air the two original seasons and they would air them a lot because they were proud of it. This was sort of like a crown jewel. Not much to show at that time. Yeah, Lifetime didn't have a lot. Like now we think of Lifetime original movie and we think of Project Runway there every week. Yes. Um, but this was like quality television on a cable channel. Getting them Emmy nominations. Like that's. And so, heard of but these DVDs are literally like VHS recordings of those broadcasts <laughs> because I think in the past 20 years, there may have been like some obscure cable channels high up the dial, like yeah. uh, oh. in the hundreds on your cable your channel. Od- is Odyssey one epic? Yeah, like, like MeTV. Oh, there's certain kinds of... Th- antenna. I don't know which show, yeah. um, which, cha- which channel it would have been on, but there have been airings, but... Um, yeah, it's hard to find any real solid information about the show anywhere. It's not tremendously... Even its IMDb doesn't have... Its Wikipedia page doesn't have a list of episode titles. No. Which is insane because... Everything like, does. Everything else does. Because all it takes is one person. Jay Tarsus could do it. You could do it. I could do you it. You have all the episodes. I know, done. I have it. It's exhausting. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, uh, the last scene... So yeah, we get that scene. And then the last scene, she comes home and the elevator is getting fixed. They're transitioning from uh, Davey, the elevator uh, uh, operator, yeah. uh, for the first season and for, I guess, the first two episodes of the second season... He is operating like an elevator that has a little gate and everything, and then the building changes over to a regular push-button self-service elevator, yeah. so he becomes just the doorman for the building. For the rest of the series? For the rest of the series. Oh, good. Yeah. I like I think him. He and, uh, and uh, he and Molly Dodd are the only two characters who I think are in every episode of the show. Right, yeah. I noticed that looking at IMDb is that it's very scatter. Like, yeah. no one else is in all... It's like 65 episodes? Yeah, because there's 13. Yeah. Which five, is another thing, like five 60, seasons. 65 episodes is nowadays definitely enough to get into syndication and run. Yeah. Because now we consider that a huge success. Yeah, 65 episodes, that's five. That's uh, more than five seasons of Game of Thrones. That's six and a half seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, uh, so deeper into the episode, I want to talk about, well, the, the episode opens up and you, t- you had to tell me that Molly's mom narrates the opening. Yeah. Your job in a bookstore. Reading. She's not supposed to be reading. She's supposed to be working for her new boss, shown here at right. Reading. There's something insidious about all this reading. For one thing, you do it by yourself. All alone, unaccompanied. And people need company. Um, because again, like, I would not have known that. No, and I realized as the scene was happening, I'm like, I should say something because it otherwise makes no sense. And you could easily think that it was... Blair Brown's inner monologue because yeah. it's the first time she wasn't speaking she was reading a book and you hear this woman's voice who's very like, anti-reading yeah <laughs> um, yeah the episodes I don't know why 
Because, but it is something they stick with, I think, through the whole run of the series. It's always like, let me tell you about my daughter. But, okay. But she's also not, the mom's not in every episode. It's not, yeah. it's not like a Gilmore Girls type show where the mo- yeah. mother-daughter relationship is central. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, we get the opening credits, and I wrote that it's a very lifetime opening, but this is NBC, so yeah. it's all, like, shot through a Barbara Walters, like, filter, it's... Yeah, it's, it's mostly still photographs, a lot yeah. of still photographs. It's very, it's very specific late 80s, because there's, like, the late 80s, it's, like, Saved by the Bell, it's, like, fun and neon. Yeah. But then there's, like, the pastel greeting cards, precious momentsy side of the late 80s, in yeah. a way. And but also very, it's very New York. It's yeah, like, um, it, yeah, it really is. It's all just images, all just New York City images, like a sign of West 76th Street, yeah. a, a shot of Central Park, and a shot, of, you know, it's just like, um. I wrote that the, the filter on it reminds me of a karaoke, a Korean karaoke music video. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is how degraded Weird. the transfer is, <laughs> that these are like third generation yeah. uh, 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 recordings. It does seem like there's like a frame rate difference that makes it that kind of like dreamlike. But again, yeah. I actually don't know if that's... The I big... mean, somewhere I like to think that there's someone in a lab that is preparing the Blu-ray. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just like going through and making re- sure it's re-editing like... Re-editing every to give it the 16 by 9 yeah. <laughs> aspect uh... ratio treatment. Uh the then the first scene was the you explained that to me about the how there's the guy dying or he has a heart attack yeah. all the time I because there was that joke of it's you two isn't it you live in there you've got like some sort of weird dormitory for paramedics you're holding this poor man hostage which I thought yeah. was a great joke yeah um <laughs> yeah it's very like there there are uh the most like overtly comedic aspects of the show often just have to do with that New York's crazy yeah so like the idea of two paramedics just appearing in the hallway and taking over the elevator and you have to get off the elevator now. And they're kind of in this weird little fight where it's like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we can't tell you that lady. And they get in the elevator and it is like, oh yeah, New York's a crazy city. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like that is a, um, like when I was started rewatching this recently in preparation, uh, uh for this, um, <laughs> I was struck by like, oh, a paramedic's taking an old man out of, the apartment and taking me to the elevator is a very f- dark and funny joke for a New York City show. It's yeah. just like... Um, that totally would happen, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, but uh, even just, like, the fact that two episodes in a row you have the same thing. She's yeah. like, what is... Because she's also like, who is this guy? Who lives here? And also the fact that it requires viewers in 1988 to have watched last week. Like, this is yeah. one of the first shows I've done. First of all, this is the first show I've done on this podcast, I think, that doesn't have a laugh track. Mm-hmm. And second, I think it's the first one I've done uh, that is this heavily serialized. Yeah. Um, aside from the Fresh Prince uh, running for judge whatever plot yeah. line, which we discovered was actually a plot line. Yeah. Yeah. Then we go to the bookstore, mm-hmm. which I wasn't sure if it was a library or a bookstore, but I guess since they were buying things, obviously it's a bookstore. My, yeah. my inclination was library at first. Right. She's a librarian. I could see her being a librarian. Yes. I could very easily see that. Is there romance between her yes. and the guy? Okay. That's one of the things that's also intriguing about this is that there's this kind of, um, she goes on the date with the Nathaniel Hoffman, yeah. the cop, but it's right after the scene where... Uh, uh, Moss Goodman, the David Strathairn character. I never know if I'm saying David Strathairn's name right. I pronounce it differently every third time I say it. Um, but he's one of the one of my favorite actors. Um, if you don't, uh, uh, if you've never, 
for those of you who don't know who David Strathairn is, uh, I recommend the movie Limbo, which is a great uh, John Sayles movie. He was like one of the actors who was in tons of John Sayles movies. Okay. Um, and Limbo is a, is a, one of my favorites, and he's like the lead actor in that. Um, but this was the first thing I saw him in. I loved his performance in this. And um, there's definitely like this weird uh, um, sexual tension and chemistry that's yeah. bubbling up. And I remember as a kid being like, almost like, it was shocking to me that it was like, oh, you have this one relationship that's sort of happening. Yeah. But then she goes on this date with this cop as well. I'm like, oh, like Molly Dodd is sort of like playing the field. She's sort of like, yeah. uh, she's looking for a relationship, but it's, it's, it was tense and intriguing to me to watch a show in which she was kind of like being pursued and pursuing multiple people at the same time. Uh, because that's not the normal. Normally, if that's no. normally if that's the plotline on a sitcom, it's because there's trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and um, there's a point later in the season where um, Nathaniel Hawthorne like comes over to her house, drops by her apartment, and she's sick, and he like makes her chicken soup, and he's like overtly like says he wants to be in a relationship with her, and she's like, "Well, I'm actually kind of seeing someone right at the moment," and he was like, "Oh, I didn't know that." <laughs> And it's not a big deal. He doesn't storm out or anything. Yeah. But he's like, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. And you can see, like, watching the season, you're like, oh, if he'd asked her in this episode, she would have said yes to him. Because she hadn't yet established anything. And it is just, it's an interesting dynamic because we're sort of trained by sitcoms that if we see a character who's, like, dating like that, it's it's in the context of, like, the first image that comes to my mind is, like, Jack Tripper in Three's Company is like he's got three dates yeah. in three different oh, cars. He's like no. running up. Oh, it's like they're all gonna like like <laughs> like humiliate him at the angry. end of the episode. Yeah, it's um, very progressive and open. Because even like you know Mary Tyler Moore, her whole thing was like single woman, independent woman, but she rarely dated. Right. But it's also like it was cool to see like well her job is important to her, and that's the series finale. So being like I never got married and had kids, but you guys are my family tears yeah so it's cool to see the kind of like she has a job and then also ha- is pursuing is like out there and doing yeah. things she's also and, like molly dodd is uh portrayed as a smart and capable character but is also like kind of a fuck up too like she's not successful right she's yeah. not a successful person she is a nice but not too nice an apartment it's not an unrealistic yeah. new york city apartment uh, in the at least not in the in the grand scheme of of yes. TV New York City apartments, <laughs> hers looks like a real place. Yeah, um, but she is a character that is like uh, kind of screwed up in a lot of ways, you know. And and a lot of the things that are charming about her are also the things that are clearly sort of like I had an epiphany a few years ago, which was I was living in New York City. I was in my mid-30s, I was divorced, and I was working in a bookstore, and <laughs> I had this epiphany that was like, oh my god, I've what turned happened? into Molly Dodd. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> that, that I was, <laughs> I had overtly checked so many of the boxes, I was like, how did this happen? Like, how did I become, how, how had I absorbed oh, so much yeah. of this, yeah. you, know, l- you know, relatively short-run sitcom <laughs> that I never would have imagined at a certain age that I would be like, that's what I'm, like, it wasn't a goal, but I had done it, like, 
I can't think of another sitcom you character that I ever had this many things in common with, you know? Yeah. I guess at some point there could be something about, like, a guy who does improv or something where I was like, oh, that's closer or whatever. <laughs> um, but there wasn't the point where I was just like, oh, I work at Barnes & Noble Union Square, and I am divorced, and I'm living in New York City. I'm at the same age, and I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> And no wonder it resonates. Yeah. Because it uh, affected your life deeply. Yes. <laughs> uh, after that, after the scene in the bookstore, we go to the date scene, which is where basically we get Victor Garber, which is why I was super excited. Yes. Because I I first knew him from, well, I guess I saw Titanic, so I knew that. But right. Eh, whatever, Titanic. Um, Alias is where I, like, yeah. loved him. Uh, fell in love with him, etc. So, like, he's so great. I mean, what's so amazing about him, I and mean, we, we could just do the podcast just about him, and I'm, I'm by no means a comprehensive expert, although no, I, will, I will say... I'm not either. That show, I'll Fly Away, that I'm thinking about getting on uh, DVD-R, yeah. he is in one episode of that. And at the time, I was like, the show can do no wrong. Yeah. I was just like, they're, they're, <laughs> well, they're I, I only know him from Alias and, like, Legends of Tomorrow, which, have you seen Legends of Tomorrow? I have not seen Legends of Tomorrow. Great, he's, it's... That's a currently running show? Yeah, that's the DC comic show that he's in that is insane, and it's... Let me ask you this, great. have you ever heard the soundtrack to the musical Assassins? No, but I know of it because I've listened to Don't Get Me Started. Uh, you need to. I mean, you absolutely must listen to, to the original soundtrack recording of yeah. Assassins. As a listening experience, it stands alone. You don't need to know anything. It, it works as a, an audio play. Yeah, yeah. And Victor Garber plays John Lux Booth. Oh. And his performance in The Ballad of Booth, which is basically this... Uh, you have a narrator who's a balladeer. This is a, my favorite play. Assassins is my favorite play. And it, it's a Stephen Sondheim's exploration of all the different people who at that time had successfully assassinated or tried to assassinate... President of the United States. And The Ballad of Booth is uh, Victor Garber very powerfully performing a song from the point of view of John Wilkes Booth. It includes oh, wow. a uh, shocking crescendo to the song that uh, <laughs> is so... Like, if it wasn't so well performed, it could be the most problematic thing. But because it's, it, it's a great example of, like, yeah. an actor committing so hard and being so great in a role that it's like you get chills listening to it. Uh, this is, I believe, the, not the not the later, there's a second recording, but I believe on Spotify or something, you should be able to find the original recording of Assassins. He's great. He can do no wrong. This is the first time that I think I'd seen him do really straight comedy. Yeah. Um, and, well, he was on Difficult People this season and was great yeah. in that as a creepy child molester. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so this is the first, but like he delivers a line where he like comes and he interrupts Molly's date with Nathaniel Hawthorne. And then like, can I speak to you privately? And then he has this whole, like, you need to stop coming at me. You're being crazy to her when yeah. when he's in front of Nathaniel Hawthorne. But yeah. then when he pulls her away, it's like, ignore her. She's nothing. A stopgap, a vent, a valve to let off steam. I'm Mount St. Helens, Molly. I totally lost my mind, and it's your fault. I'm madly in love with you. I yeah. can't get enough of you. He totally yeah. is a 180. And then he has this great line of like... Let's form a suicide pact. I can't. I gotta be in Great Nick tonight. It's my daughter's first communion. But I could be late. Or we could go together. Do you like communions? <laughs> Super yeah. great uh, delivery. It's... Every line is delivered with such skill that... I remember when Alias started, and I was so thrilled that, like, Victor Garber was on a great show. Yeah. 
And I was also like, oh, and even though there are moments where he's funny on that show, because there is comedy with oh, that, at yeah. least, but it's most more often an intense show in which he is called upon to be uh, uh, the scariest person on the show, whose yeah. reputation is that he's terrifying. Yeah. And, and usually the, the comedy comes from the juxtaposition of his terrifyingness with, like, having to, like, deal with a cell phone or right. something like... Like, a lot of good, like, deadpan humor yeah. from him in that. But Ugh. it's, uh... How did it feel to see him doing something like this, where it is... <laughs> As someone that has a comedy uh, pilot that is written for Victor Garber... Yeah. <laughs> this was uh, good proof uh, that I am on the right track and hopefully yeah, that because- will happen. When I when I was watching this one it first aired, I was like, that guy's hilarious. Yeah. And and I had no idea who he was. So it really was like I, I really I feel like there's so many things that our opinions of the thing are prefaced by knowledge of like people like this or people don't like this. Yeah, yeah. Like when you watch something now, you usually have heard like, oh, people it's are like this. Tomato like, yeah, yes. Yeah. What my friends say. It's very hard to find stuff that you just go in blind. Mm-hmm. You normally have some inkling one yeah. way or the other that whether you agree with it or not, you know your reaction is always a little bit yes. in relation That's to That's why I'm it. never gonna watch a San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. Because Because everyone has been like, you have to watch it. It'll change your life and like yeah. I, I, I you just set up way too many expectations right. for me. So, and no matter how I yeah. react to it, it's going to be weird and wrong. So I sort of cherish whenever I've had reactions to things where I really didn't have any information except like, oh, this show is on right now or this yeah. movie is... Like, I remember um, like watching this and feeling... I didn't know anything about it. I was just like, what's this show? And it's not like any other TV show. And I'm like, that guy's hilarious. That guy's one of the funniest people I've ever seen on a TV show. And then everything that ever came later confirmed. I was like, oh, yeah, he's great. Everyone knew yeah. he was great. And the reason he got this role is because people he was a guy who obviously people were like, this guy's great. Um, I remember having an opinion. One opinion I'm always really proud of is when the movie The Firm came out. Yeah. And I had never read the John Grisham book, but everybody, everybody and everybody's mom had all read The Firm. They'd all read that book. It was like the big, like... Oh, yeah, it's the big John Grisham. It's the read that year, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and when the movie came out, I loved that movie. And then everyone was like, oh, they ruined it. And the book was so much better. And I was like, really? And I was like, I, I better read that book and see what, how much better it was. And I read the book, and I was like, oh, they're wrong. Like, <laughs> this book is garbage. And they made a masterpiece out of it. And I was like, every change they made in the movie, and I stand by this, every change they made in the movie is an improvement on what was in the book. And I would get in these arguments with people, and... And I had them, and this was like in a sort of a pre-IMDb sort of era where you wouldn't just look up it. Right. And I was like, that movie's way better. I'm like, I don't know if this is the only book that those people ever read, so they just want to have that opinion because yeah. it's the usual. But I'm like, this is an example where the adaptation is better. And then when I eventually looked up who had done the adaptation, it was Robert Town, the screenwriter of Chinatown and many <laughs> other great films. And like someone that is sort of like a go-to example, like, who's a great screenwriter? Robert Town. I was like, I was like, you know what? I knew it. Yeah. I knew this was Vindication. good. Um, so like my Victor Garber opinion was sort of like how I, I like can trust that as like one of my barometers. I'm like, this guy's great. And then everything that I would ever see ever again in my life with him was like, yep. Yeah. He's he is really funny on Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, I gotta watch it. Uh, I I tell everyone watch the episode that is set in because they travel through space. It's basically like if it's always sunny was Quantum Leaping. Oh, okay. Because it's a it's a crew of dumb assholes. Is this on the CW? The CW? It's part okay. of the Flash Arrow universe. Gotcha. And it's all like the C list like leftovers from those shows. All the right. supporting characters became the main cast of this show. 
And he is one half of Firestorm, so he's like the professor half, and he is like a gestalt with a young kid who becomes Firestorm. Great. There's an episode where they travel back to the Civil War because a zombie outbreak has broken out in the Civil War, and so they're going there to fight Confederate zombies. Yeah. And they just give Dr. Martin Stein a phobia of zombies, and as soon as he gets there and he sees it at zombies, he immediately is like, don't say it, don't, I can't, oh, oh, And it's just like Victor Garber doing like nebbishy like panic the entire time. Yeah. His plot line oh, is great. he's stuck on the ship with a zombie and is just like, it's like Road Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote throughout the ship while the rest of them are out fighting zombies. And also has one of the realist depictions of slavery I've ever seen on television. So it's a fucking crazy show. Uh, when I worked at Barnes Noble <laughs> Union Square, uh, Victor Garber was in the store once and uh, asked where the bathroom was. And I told him where the bathroom was. I remember thinking, like, I played it just right. <laughs> I was just, where I was uh, like, I was helpful in a human way and I didn't make him feel... Uh, I was like... Because I have this thing whenever I've interacted with famous yeah, people yeah, yeah, in yeah. this kind of context. I'm like, they just want a normal thing. Yeah. They don't want you to intrude or feel... And so I was just like... Uh, Extra nice, but didn't like. I wish in hindsight maybe I'd said like you're great on days nice and like yes, that, that because I would have impressed. Yeah, but uh, I could have all. It could have also been f- freaky in a way that would have made him feel like I should never ask where the yes. bathroom is. Yeah, uh, but I remember thinking like I played it right. I gave him a normal human interaction, which is. Uh, I did the opposite when I met Victor Garber. Really? Because last summer at San Diego Comic-Con, my old job at Comic Book Resources, where I was a reporter and interviewer, uh, writer, editor, uh, and so uh, my boss gave me the task of interviewing the Legends of Tomorrow cast on camera, because he was like, I know you want this. Right, <laughs> right, right. Because Victor Garber so much. And so I interviewed both of them on camera, and they, it was like two halves, like four of them and four of them, and he was in the second half, and when he was getting like mic'd up, uh, when we wait, wait for everyone to get mucked up, he, I think I said, like, oh, I like your suit, because he was wearing this awesome blue suit. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like your suit. And he was like, oh, thank you. And he was, like, super, because that was my testing the waters. Yeah. Because I was like, okay. How friendly. He's nice. He's right. very friendly. And then the interview, he was, like, super nice. Um, Katie Lotz, who plays White Canary on the show, mm-hmm. was, like, wearing a captain's hat, very, like, drinking wine, having a good time, and they were, like, super friendly. They were a really, really ridiculous, friendly cast. Yeah. And then after it's over, I was like, this is my chance. And so I had to just be like, go from, I just spent 10 minutes interviewing you like a professional. Right. Now I'm like, oh, excuse me, uh, I'm gay and you're one of my gay heroes and it, can I really, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> it was like this, like, yeah. all of the, um, like, <laughs> professional edifice had just crumbled right. away. And it was like this full blast of sincerity coming right at him out of nowhere. And he was immediately like, oh, 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 okay, yes. And he, like... Grab me, put him, put uh, his arm around me, and like I was trying to take a selfie. He was like, "Oh no, the light's way better over here." So like we moved. Oh, that's so nice. My camera guy like took my camera, took my phone, took the picture, and he yeah. was like super genuine and nice. And it was like really quick, and then it was done. And it was just like that was. And then I had to be like, "Oh, I came out to Victor Garber," which is like a really weird yeah. thing to say. But it's also like that's what I. I have very few gay celebrity role models that are, like, my, like, people that I actually, like, want to look up to. Right. And knowing that he is an actor that nailed, like, the role of Jack Bristow. Yeah. Which is a role that, like, is demanding and tough and mean and cold, which is not what you think of when you think of, like, gay actors. Yeah. I really loved and respected the breadth of his work. Yeah. And I think that's, like, a role model that I have. It's also, there's also, <laughs> a, there's also a, a thing with, uh, you know, um, 
He's so good, and, and Molly Dottie's so good at playing a total creep, just like yes. a real yeah, selfish yeah. asshole. And there's a thing that sometimes happens where you'll see someone who's like really good at playing a creep or an asshole, and then you find out that in real life, the actor is like that. Yeah, yeah. And it really takes the shine off it in a way that it's kind of like, oh, so we're just watching... Just, this is them. Them good. <laughs> uh, uh, being sort of glorifying their own worst aspects. Didn't Victor Gerber walk Jennifer Garner down the aisle, or like he was at he was at her wedding and maybe in the party? Like they were Wouldn't still surprise me. Yeah. still friends. Yeah, like it's great. And it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like the the it would be harder to enjoy the performance even with the skill level of it as Dennis Widmer if you thought this guy really was like yeah. this kind of slimy guy, you know? Yeah. So he is great. Uh, it's really also cool to seeing him like fifteen years younger than I'm used to seeing him, like right. a good twelve years younger or so. Yeah. Great. Uh, although, like, from air to VHS to DVD-R <laughs> copy. Right. So, There's a blur around yeah, so him. Like, that, I get that, the gist, but... Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about the... Speaking of coming out stories, yes. um, the... The, uh, psychi- the, the psychiatrist... Dr. Lich- Dr. Litchfield Dr. Litchfield scene. scene. Which, I wrote down, like, this is my nightmare. Like, because Molly Dodd, like, I have the same thing with, like, I have a therapist, and when I go, it's like, I... When she just comes in and starts talking, right, nonstop, I'm like, yeah, that's 100 percent right <laughs> accurate. And I'm like, I, re- I relate that's to relatable. that. But your your fear inside is, I hope they like like me, or I hope I'm not annoying them, or I yeah. hope that. And so, like, when I thought the scene was gonna be her breaking up with her and being like, I can't have you as a client anymore because right. you were actively ruining my profession, right? Which is what I where I thought the thing was going. I was like, that's a nightmare scenario. Yeah, to have like all your worst fears totally confirmed. Yes, <laughs> and, like thrown in your face. But then it goes in a different nightmare scenario, like an even weirder, more fucked up bitch. Like, yeah, it's an incredibly complicated scene. Yeah, this wasn't this scene wasn't the reason that I picked this episode. (laughs) But when I when I because I I knew I wanted an episode for you that had I wanted an episode that had David (laughs) Strathairn in it. I knew that we had to pick an episode that Victor. It would be a, a. it would be a criminal of me to pick yeah. a, an episode for this podcast that didn't include Victor Garber because yeah. he's not in every episode. And then when I realized this scene was in it too, I'm like, oh, this is like a pretty, uh, kind of a, a deep dive of a scene. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is really complicated in terms of the it, the way that it resolves as a scene is kind of this unresolved, it, it just is this sort of like awkward tension that dissipates and gets sadder as it, it's not a scene. She basically confesses oh. that as a therapist, she's been she was uh, talking to her therapist, and she'd been away away for a few weeks, and had determined that she's in love with Molly Dodd. Yeah, and that she doesn't identify. I don't usually fall in love with women. I don't think of myself as gay. And oh, and yeah. and. Molly Dodd's reaction is also hard to read because she's uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Even if, like, uh, there's already a level of uncomfortableness when your therapist says that they're in love with you. And it's like, that's... Yeah. Even if it was a man... If it it was opposite gender, like, if it was... It would just be the creepiest. Yeah, because there's an element that it, it feels like a violation. Yeah. In some ways. And, and so... Well, it sounds like it's hard to find a therapist. It's like, well, great. Now I have to go find someone else. Yeah. And it also admit, she <laughs> it also feels be. foolish that she's been sort of like chasing her down cheerfully and had this different demeanor. That's got to have been torture for Litchfield. Yeah. I'm trying to ditch this person that I'm like 
inappropriately in love with and they keep coming after me. They want me. Yeah. Ugh. And then at the at the tail end of the scene, the phone rings and it's a guy named Kenny yeah. who's in town and it's clearly like they're making a date for that night and Molly Dodd just gets up and quietly leaves and we hear the phone <laughs> conversation. She's like, yeah, yeah, no, it'd be great. Yeah, the therapist no, is tell. heartbroken. Looks. Yeah. Like it's, her face sinks like... Yeah, and it almost feels like you're leaving this character who is now maybe trapped in a life that she doesn't want. You know, it's just so sad. <laughs> Does she come back or is that it? I don't think that we see that character again. <laughs> oh my god! So it is like... That's so sad! Um, so this is like, you watch the Cosby show, you watch A Different World, you watch Cheers, and then you watch this. And it's not that those other shows wouldn't occasionally have uh, yeah, has scenes one. that are devastating or things like that. Cheers but a gay scene. And not every episode of Molly Dodd has something that's that devastating. Yeah. But I think it, it it is up to level in terms of the complexity and the the just the emotional uh, uh, torment of a scene like that. Is that I I yeah it is I do one well no bisexual was a term because David Bowie famously said he was yeah and Elton John did as well in the seventies so yeah. that existed so it is interesting that like as a as a therapist you would assume that she probably knows a lot about. Like, yeah. sexuality, gender, et cetera, et cetera. And it is weird that she didn't say, like, I'm bisexual or I might be bisexual. And so she says, like, I don't usually fall... I don't usually fall in love with women, which implies that she has before. Yeah. Yeah. There's a... There's a lot. I want to know more about that. Yeah. That's a... That's, that is very much an intense scene to just drop and then leave. Yeah. And it's also interesting because, like... <laughs> The title of the episode being, Here's a Few Variations on a Sexual Theme. Yeah. Um, and that certainly relates to the uh, uh, bookstore scene where he reads oh, the D.H. Lawrence. Poetry. Uh, Suddenly she became small in his arms. Small and nesting. It was gone. The resistance was gone. And she began to melt in a marvelous piece. And and he's reading that aloud to contrast its power with this. Wait, was like, he holding a book? No, it's from memory. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, yeah. I think I'm like the transfer is so fuzzy. I was yeah. like, maybe he was actually holding a. book. Well, he's also he's a little bit on the spectrum, certainly. Yeah. So he kind of will like avoid on co- eye contact and look down and things yeah. like that. But um, in among the episodes, like it, here's a few variations in the sexual theme. Sounds like uh, a more lighthearted topic for an episode. I think it's like a gut punch to realize that the the final part of this episode is going to be this kind of sad, aching scene. Yeah. Oof. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on this before I move on to the um, trivia section? Uh, no, no. I think we've we've sort of uh, uh, <laughs> covered all the bases. There's nothing more to say after that Probably. scene. Yeah, even though there's like a lighthearted follow up scene to that where it's just her coming back, back to her, her building. Kind of because shares, she shares Chinese food with the uh, now the, the doorman, the, the doorman Davy. Um, and it is kind of like we see that she's sort of by this point, sort of like uh, uh, shaken off the 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 melancholy of the previous scene is a little bit the most awkward. Um. Just, like, you, you can almost, like, feel that sort of thing. It's like, she probably went for a long walk after that, yeah. ordered way too much Chinese she's food. she's like, i got plenty to share. She's got, like, a <laughs> giant bag. So it's, like, her way of, like, okay, i got to cope with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have, like, this and this and this and this. <laughs> and then it's over.
So, for the season, for season two, Molly Dodd was the 28th most watched show of that TV season. Not bad. With an average of 16.1 million viewers. Which, I mean, it's a smash hit. That's insane. They're like the new Will and Grace came back and they're like, it got 10 million viewers. Yeah. Huge. Like, what gets si- what gets 60 million viewers Big now? Big Bang Theory. I mean, so it's the Big Bang Theory of its day, yeah. but when every other show was twice as big a hit. Super Bowl. As, every yeah. other was Super Bowl. That's, it's, that's just crazy. Um, the top five shows of that season were number five was Growing Pains, four was Golden Girls, three Cheers, two A Different World, and one The Cosby Show. Yeah. So I can see this is nothing like anything else I mean, on the air. Of those shows you listed, what was the fifth one? Growing Pains, Golden I mean, Girls, Cheers, Different World Golden Cosby. Girls is probably the one that has the most overlap to it in terms of the way that show would tonally... Yeah, it would kind um, of go... It got to a phase where every episode was a very special episode, but every episode was also still hilarious. Yeah. It really walked a line. Yeah, I mean, it has way more hard jokes Yeah, um, than, than Molly Dodd does, but you could imagine it wouldn't be the worst programming to uh, air... No. Oh, and also that's a NBC. I could see a night that was like Golden Girls, Empty Nest. Days and Nights of Days, Dodd. Yes! What? And that, on Saturday night on NBC, that would have been the thing that like senior citizens would be like, and now they're really young show. Yeah, like, ooh, like, we're getting like, hip. Mid to late 30s. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 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 like, uh, that would have been... That Travel back in time, become the... Was this Warren Littlefield era or Brandon Tartikoff? It was actually... I believe it was actually Tartikoff's idea. Like, Tartikoff... Uh, said to Jay Tarsus, you should create a show about, like, a woman in New York in her 30s figuring it out. Something like yeah. that. And then Jay Tarsus was like, oh, okay. And then he was friends with Blair Brown. He he went to her and was like, I want to do this show for you. And then they talked about it. And they, they basically, between the two of them, came up with the notion that let's do a show that isn't like any other sitcom ah. that is shot like a drama, doesn't have a laugh track, but it'll still be funny. And... You can sort of, like... I mean, someone would have done it anyway. It's, I always feel like it's one of those things that, like... Yeah, I mean, Cop Rock was a couple years away. They were pushing boundaries left yeah. and right in this era. Cop Rock's a show that, <laughs> that clearly, if no one had made Cop Rock, maybe no one would have made a Cop Rock. <laughs> but if no one made Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, within a few years... Like, people will say that thing about, like, well, what if Dylan or the Beatles hadn't happened? I'm like, right. somebody would have... T- some band would have been like, we're writing our own songs. Like, there's certain yeah. things that would have popped up. And I feel like Days and Nights of Molly Dodd was the one that just happened to be the one that triggered it. But it is the one. Like, it's it's in the... When you look at uh, so many shows now, the uh, it's not hard to, to pinpoint which shows where you're like, I bet that creator of that show... Yeah. I honestly, like, I wrote, down, I wrote down on my notes, like, Netflix could do a reboot of this tonally and it would just fit right in. Or honestly, like, just buy the rights and add this to the fucking... Because it... The tone of it is so in line. I think there may be weird music rights things or something uh. that uh, there's a there's an article from probably like ten years, ten or fifteen years ago that's like David B and Cooley uh, talking about how why hasn't Days and Nights of Molly Dodd uh, come out on DVD? And you know there was sadly a few years ago. Um, I will in case let's say the rights holders to Days and Nights of Molly Dodd are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Please, well, if they have a Google alert, yeah, then uh, let's say they're listening to this podcast. There was a YouTube channel a few years ago where someone had painstakingly uploaded every episode of this show to the YouTube channel, and then and it was up for probably at least six months, and 
then then they yanked it. Because... Were they these copies? No, I mean oh, they may wow. have been. They may have been. They were. Okay. They weren't great. They were. Yeah, often... I wonder if like if there's just like one default he was taking or they he might have been. He might have been. Yeah. But um, you could do it. They uh, <laughs> well, but all this work, all those uploads, oh. sixty five uploads broken into two halves. So it's a lot of uploading. It's a lot, yeah. And then out of nowhere, YouTube yanks it for copyright. Uh, the the copyright holder of this. Like, so I'm like, what are they searching? Copyright for? holder, wherever you are, either release this show or let someone else put it on YouTube. Yeah, like if you're not gonna pull the trigger and make it available, this show shouldn't be rotting in some vault somewhere. Right. It shouldn't exist. And, and also, don't shut down cell.com. Uh, <laughs> I'm furious if, I, if my uh, uh, big mouth ends up. I would love it if this podcast had that kind of reach. Though. I mean, that'd be good for me. Bad for cell.com. Bad, bad for all the Molly Dodd fans out there that ain't going to get it. Yeah, so I, I just don't know. I just don't know if there's any way that uh, it's. Because with each passing year, the reason the selling points become less and less. Like, if this. When Fringe was out, you could maybe say, like, right, hey, yeah. Fringe fans, you like Nina Sharp? How would you like to see her in a you're sophisticated a, adult sitcom? You're such a niche culture, though, that yeah. I do feel like you could, if you release, again, like if you release all 65, one DVD set, $100, like, it'd have to be like. High price point to justify yeah. it, but like, as a yeah, like Warner we'll Archive it. or one of these like yeah. companies that Rhino. does like yeah, because like uh, Shout Factory, Shout Factory, oh, Shout Factory, Shout Factory is the big hope for this show because uh, the Bob Newhart show had a like the first four came out on DVD back you know in the DVD TV craze of the yeah. thousands, and then five and six languished, never came out, and then Shout Factory got the rights, released five. And then annoyingly, never released six on its oh, own, but they released the whole the series. Yeah, you gotta so take what you can get. You I know? bought the whole series, but I mean, still, they the did fact it. that Shout Factory released Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which is on my bucket list <clears throat> of things that it's like, yeah, it's hundreds of episodes, and you've got to, it's a lot of work, but uh, I want to see it. But they released that, so I feel like there's a chance that they could release this wherever it is. But it's also uh, another thing I will say about the show, as great as it is, um, and uh, you know, I know some people. Who are on Orange is the New Black, uh, who've done like monologues at ASCAT and things like yeah. that. And each time someone from that is on, I'll always kind of bring up like, <laughs> and I work to try to get Blair Brown like I, I, to do ASCAT monologues oh. or something at some point. Um, it, it could happen. You yeah, know, it could happen. Um, get her to sign my <laughs> be like, be, be, <laughs> what are these? Again? Like, these are your show. You this made. is your, this is um, what it is. Would that be depressing? Like, this is what it's come to. Like this is. No, I mean... I should be fine. Uh, was I she ever on the cover of TV Guide? I have a framed ad. For, she was on the cover of TV Guide, but I have a framed okay. ad that my friend J.D. Amato gave me for my birthday one year that was... Uh, it's it's for one of the seasons of, of Days on Cloud God. It's like a full-page black-and-white newsprint ad. Um, but uh, I did a day on Orange is the New Black for the season that's coming out next year, which it, the day after I got cast in it, it hit me that I'm like, oh, I am now on a... TV show, yeah. I am zero degrees <laughs> connection uh, to Blair Brown. There is an aspect of this show that I wonder if, like, if if it was streaming, if it was, if someone picked up, if Hulu or Amazon or anybody, like, uh, had the rights to it. Or CBS All Access. It is one of those shows that I wonder about for a new audience coming to it. So many of the things that are great about it are actually things that have already been absorbed into other shows to the point where they're no longer innovations right. that it may seem like a fairly sedate show or a fairly like, um, you know, because even a show that's as like groundbreaking as Twin Peaks, 
people who watch the at least the original seasons mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks, <clears throat> when they see them now, they might think like, I've already seen X Files. I've already seen like... a dozen shows that have yeah. borrowed from this. Yeah, Molly Dodd, which was already a subtle show to begin with. So many of the innovations had been absorbed into things like Adam Beale or Sex and City, which maybe did it with more uh, overt, uh, uh, yeah, kind of like razzle dazzle. I will say, like, if for the entire you know TV uh, hive mind people that like really like like thinking about this stuff, like myself, yeah, yeah. it was super fascinating to see something that looks like 1988, but also doesn't look like 1988. Yeah, like that is. The like look and feel of a Cheers at that era, but also not at all like it. Like it's it's a as a curiosity of people that like love the history of television. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, worth watching and worth tracking down at Cell.com. And uh, and a great New York show in terms uh-huh. of like it, you know, there's so many shows I love that are New York shows, particularly of the of the New York shows that are filmed in L.A. <laughs> you know that like. Friends or Seinfeld or things like that, like, they don't really capture what it feels like to live in New York. They are yeah. their own alternate universe. Of, they might as well be on the moon in, right. in many respects. <laughs> they create their own internal logic and reality of how things work. Um, this is a show that, even though New York is different, very different now than it was then, it captures a lot of things that are still tr- hold true about New York in terms of yeah. the, the... I think you could do this episode today... Like, yeah. nothing really dated it that much. But it's like the places that people go to eat, the places that people yeah. grocery shop, it all kind of feels like, um, uh, even though, like, I only lived in Manhattan for a, a few years of my overall time in New York, but when I did, I was like, when I was walking around, I was like, this is, this is very Molly Dodd. Like, yeah. I would have that feeling of, like, uh, this feels like I'm living in the same city. Yeah. I did a few years ago. I, I it was too much work to do it. A few years ago, just for fun, I was going to re- try to find the locations that are in the opening credits <laughs> and just film a version of the opening credits with oh, just yeah. me. Yeah, of course. In those spots, why but it was too much work? Oh. It was too much work. Uh, who would you say had the must see performance in this episode? I mean, it's Blair Brown. Just because it, that's true of every episode of the show. Uh, comedically, Victor Garber because he's the funniest one of the yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. but. Um, it truly is a show that, like, it, 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 it lives or dies based on her. Totally she anchors yeah. everything in it. Uh, I don't know if there's ever, if there are, there are rarely s- scenes that she is not in. There might every now and then be a scene between her mom and her sister or something like that, but for the most part, she's... It's heavy lifting. Yeah. I, I mean, I will, I will give it to Victor Garber since you gave it to yeah. Claire Brown. Uh, for the for this for the reason you said of like he is actually the funniest one and I think for me coming and seeing him do like this kind of like straight great comedy do it so well yeah. is like great love yeah. it uh, I always ask must other people watch this episode and hopefully yes you must, <laughs> you must. I, I realize it's a big requirement um, actually I'm, gonna, I'm curious now if I look on if I go to cell.com and I look up days and nights of Molly Dodd uh, if it is even an option. Oh God! Um, I mean, the, the the sad thing about recommending this show is uh, to people is then people will be like, "Can I borrow your uh, you become your disc?" And I'm like, I, I don't wanna. It's <laughs> a risk, I man. Yeah, it's a risk yeah. thing. Um, oh boy, I mean, not a lot of. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm not seeing it here. Like, oh it may not even, <clears throat> I may have oversold what can, oh, no. no, let me look and see. Well, oh God, I mean like. Scour the internet for it. No, it is available. <laughs> okay, good. It is available, but literally you go to this, there's a seller named uh, Siblis. <laughs> And it's literally a listing of these are all the TV shows oh, that he has available. And to give you an idea of it, like the first one that jumped out at me was like Amos and Andy, which is the notoriously famous Shit. racist yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 <clears throat> TV show right above the Andy Griffith show. But like there are... Are they in alphabetical order? Yeah. What's this Bob Crane show? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Bob Crane show is listed between Bionic Woman and Bob Hope Chrysler Theater. <laughs> How much? Um... You'll have to inquire. Okay, I'm inquiring. I mean, these are all listed as $75. Uh, um, as soon as I get... I, I, will, I would do it, obviously. I don't know. I yes. mean, if you look up... Uh, it's a year in the life miniseries and 22 episodes, but then it's like, <laughs> below is a list of other shows I have. So that 75 might just be... Um, it, Bob Crane show might be more or might be <laughs> well, significantly less. Yeah, it's like only like 13 episodes. Well, here's the, so that's, that's some... Uh, here's the thing. <clears throat> it could be that it's like, well, Bob Crane's show is not going to, it's, no one wants this show. But if someone emails and says, I look for the Bob Crane show, I might be like, you're the only, <laughs> this is the only time. You blow the dust off this. Yeah, that it's kind of like, well, how much do you want the Bob Crane show? Because if you want it, you must want it a lot because no one wants it. You oh, know, it's, okay, so my email, you'd be like, kind of like, pass. I'm you, like, hey, man. You I'm might even little... nag him a little and be like, yeah, so I saw you had this Bob Crane show. I watched your Molly Dot transfer. It was like, okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this is the guy that I bought my dad from, um, but uh, I mean, it's yeah. Do you have a, a second thing that is has been hard to find like, uh, on, a, on a wish list of shows? I'm just no, curious. Well, there's also the Paul Lind uh, Christmas special. The Paul Lind show is listed here. Ooh, doesn't say Christmas special, but no, but he had a sitcom. Yeah, where he played a dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So listen. Well, I've you... introduced you to a a, a, a <laughs> benign. Uh, um, Underbelly of the of the internet. <laughs> yeah, wait, I mean, suck my money. This is, I mean, this is a website that I've never had a problem with, and it looks like the kind of website that 
I would like the first time I ever ordered a wear, left and right. Yeah, I thought this is surely not real, I, and and I did it, <laughs> and it worked. And but maybe that's maybe the hope is that they hook a bigger fish, and I was just a. Uh, <laughs> and that is my listeners. No, yeah, uh, so you have to you you listeners you you must listen to it. It was it was before they called it Musty TV, but it was certainly of the era in which. The concept of must-see TV. Oh, yeah, they, they were dominating on Thursday nights at that point. I mean, the, the top three shows of the year were from that, and then Molly Dodd was 28th. Yeah. So. I mean, you could see why they canceled in that sense, because they were just like... We don't need this. We can uh, put... Oh, because it, it was also uh, a placeholder for Night Court. Because, yeah. like, when Night Court would go away, this would come on. Yeah. So... And Summertime was an... That was... This was back when the idea of a summer series was, like, summer was for reruns. Yeah. And uh, people just wouldn't watch TV because, like, it was probably sandwiched in between rerun of Cosby Show, rerun of Different World, rerun of Cheers, yeah. new episode of Days and That's My Daughter, rerun of LA Law. That's a so bummer. to a certain extent, twenty eighth is not bad. No, you know, that, I was like, I mean, it's top thirty, which some of the shows I talk about aren't top thirty. Sixteen million people. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find you on the internet if they want or? Plug away. Uh, Connor Ratliff. Everything. Connor Ratliff, C-O-N-N-O-R-R-A-T-L-I-F-F on Twitter. Um, if you're in New York City and you want to see me perform uh, most weekends, you can find me in shows at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Uh, and currently on, uh, I'll pop up uh, every now and then on the President Show on Comedy Central and most weeks on the Chris Gethard Show on True TV. And next year in... If I don't get cut from it in <laughs> at least one episode of Orange is the New Black, hopefully. <laughs> and yeah, follow on Twitter in case you get updates about Blair Brown doing monologues at Ascot. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you, won't find, you won't find out until after it happens because they never right. announced oh, yeah, the monologues. Oh yeah, that is true. That is true. I won't find out about it until it's uh, uh, the week of if it ever happens. So yeah. And I'll let you know, I'll let you know if I ever get the uh, U.S. Postal Service uh, uh, mailing mailer that I have these things in. I think that's <laughs> what I've decided I'm getting signed. No, I'll probably get my framed picture signed. That's yeah, nicer. Yeah, yeah. But I'll definitely show her those DVDRs if I ever <laughs> if I ever meet her. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Yes. And that does it for this week's episode of Must Have Seen TV. Thanks again to my guest, Connor Ratliff, for dropping by and taking me on a journey of the wild world of the days and nights of Molly Dodd. Next week, we will begin our Christmas holiday gauntlet. So get ready for that. I'll be discussing the Dick Van Dyke Show episode, The Alan Brady Show Presents. That episode of The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Alan Brady Show, presents a lot of show in that title. It's in Season 3. It is Episode 13 of The Dick Van Dyke Show. You can stream The Dick Van Dyke Show on Hulu or Amazon, and you can also purchase that episode. And you know what? Go on and uh, make it a holiday treat for yourself. Purchase it on iTunes. Why not? Until then, you can send your questions about sitcoms to musthaveseentv at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at musthaveseentv. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review the show in iTunes. I beg of you. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Brett White. You can read the words that I write at decider.com. You can check out my sitcom t-shirts and stickers at tpublic.com slash user slash Brett White. The theme song is Patricia's Moving Picture by The Go Team. Thanks to ACAST for hosting the show. Thanks to everyone for listening, and I will see y'all next week on Must Have Seen TV. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.